Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, Inspired Church. Good morning. I uh, opened up my iPad and uh, a notification popped up and it said, uh, my screen time is down 15%. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That, that, that fell through. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I, that's just a proud moment for me. <laughs> uh, how many of us in here need to get our screen times down a little bit? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we are in a sermon series that we have called Elements. And what we are doing is every week we have been taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call ourselves a gospel-centered church. And so we're taking the gospel and we're just kind of pulling it apart and just looking at its different components, its different elements. And uh, our goal and our hope is as, as we travel through each element of the gospel, number one, that we would grow in our awe uh, of Jesus, that we would grow in our wonder of the beauty and the majesty and the glory of our Savior, and that we would grow deeply in that awe and in that wonder. But also number two, now we are a forgetful people. And I want you to know that sin is the result of forgetting the goodness of God. Sin is a failure to trust in the goodness of God. Sin is a way in which you take your decisions back and you self-determine instead of laying them down and trusting that God's way is better. That's what sin is. And so not only is elements about looking at the gospel in order to see its beauty and its splendor, but it's also about reminding us sinful people, us forgetters, that he is worthy of it all. Amen? Simple question, what does it mean to follow Jesus, right? Uh, the last couple of weeks, we talked about the element of grace in week one, the free gift of God. Last week, we talked about the element of faith. Um, and today, we're going to talk about a particular element. But what does it mean to follow Jesus, what I want you to know is that the Bible teaches humans, us, we have a fallen nature, right? We, we are sinful by default, right? Our, our default direction is to turn and walk away from God. And so instead of moving towards him, we tend to move towards ourselves. So to follow Jesus, literally to follow him is to change course. Right, to, to U-turn in a different direction. So today, we move from the elements of grace and faith to the element of, ready, repentance. Everyone say repentance. And I even heard somebody say, ouch. But here's, here's what I want to, I want to kind of, if you're taking notes, here's what I want to reveal to you that I think will be really helpful. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Listen, in faith, we move toward life in Christ. In repentance, we leave selfishness, sin, and death behind. 
So in faith, we move towards Christ. In repentance, we move away from sin. I'm going to say that one more time. In faith, we move towards Christ. In repentance, we move away from sin. And so this morning, we are going to talk about repentance. And I wore this beautiful shirt that was created by Veto. Ava's pointing to Veto, and maybe they don't want to take credit for it, but I really like it. In fact, my wife told me, you wear that too much. <laughs> Which, if you know me, I wear the same thing every day of the week, and maybe on Sunday I might switch it up. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I love this sweater, but this sweater, obviously, it says seatbelts. And for those of you that know, this morning definitely is going to be a little bit of a seatbelt morning. Amen? Uh, so let's pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Heavenly Father, um, you are wonderful, beautiful, glorious. You are worthy of all honor and all praise. We thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died an innocent death, who rose again so that those of us who would trust, repent, and believe would have life everlasting. What a beautiful story that is constantly transforming our wicked hearts. So I pray this morning as we talk about repentance and everyone in this room brings their understanding or their idea of what it is, ultimately I pray, Lord God, that we would walk out of here saying that you spoke, you had a word for us this morning. And so would you do what you do best? We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Again, I know it's a little darker in here, but please turn with me to Acts 26. Acts 26, we are going to read six verses. We're going to read verses 15 through 21. Acts 26, 15 through 21. We're kind of defining repentance from this text, even though this text is landing smack dab in the middle of something completely different, right? And so usually for preachers, it's like a no-no, right? But I'll kind of extract from this. I think you'll understand why we are diving in this particular portion. But just so you know, we are landing in the middle of the Apostle Paul recounting his miraculous conversion story. And he's recounting how Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, appeared to him, knocked him off his high horse, and began to speak to him and call him to ministry. And he's recounting this story to a king named Agrippa. And so we're landing right in the middle of that so we can kind of find a framework and a portrait for repentance. You guys good? Yeah. Acts 26 verses 15 through 21. We'll have it for you here on the screen as well. Verse 15 reads like this. And this is Paul. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now remember, this is Paul retelling the story of his conversion. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now look at verse 18. This is where we're going to kind of grab our understanding of repentance. Jesus tells Paul, I am sending you, verse 18, to what? Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins among those who are sanctified, there it is, by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should what? Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And we'll stop there. In order for us to appreciate, amen, in order for us to appreciate and trust in the good news, we must first be confronted by and convinced of the bad news. Let me say that again. In order for us to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, in order for us to believe it, to trust in it, in order for us to trust the good news, we must first be confronted by and convinced of the bad news. Are you with me? And so what is the bad news? The bad news is this, that you and I are sinners, you and I, all of humanity, we have gone astray. We have walked away. We have rebelled against God. We are guilty as charged. And the bad news is because we are guilty, guess what? You and I are deserving of God's wrath. When somebody asks a Christian, are you saved? We say, yes. But do you know what you're saved from? A lot of you might answer, well, I'm saved from a bad life. As if Christianity saved you to have a good life. That's not true. Get saved and you'll realize life might get worse. <laughs> it may be hard for you to articulate what you are saved from. But this morning, according to the text, you are saved from God's wrath. Because judgment is coming. And because we are all lawbreakers, including me on this stage, we all deserve justice. And so you better be careful because if you like justice, you deserve justice. Our works have earned judgment. Now you know why people don't like Christianity. Like this is the reason why people don't like Christianity. Are you with me? And so in order to appreciate the good news, we have to be convinced of and confronted by the bad news. But, and we love the butts of the Bible, amen? If we repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there's a promise that we will be safe. We will be secure. We will be able to hide in the righteousness of Christ and we will be saved from the justifiable wrath of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But you can't, you can see how you can't appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news. This is why the ministry of the New Testament begins in Matthew 3 with John the Baptist preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is why Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry in Matthew 4, preached to the crowds, repent, for the kingdom of God 
is at hand. And this is why here in Acts 26, as Paul is recounting his conversion and his call, that he recalls the Lord Jesus Christ, sending him to the Gentile nations so that they should what? Repent and turn to God. Now, I want you to know, repentance is not an act of the human will. It's not about trying harder or doing better. But repentance is a work of the spirit. It is a grace from God that produces in us four things. And these four things will kind of lay out where I'm going this morning. Repentance is not an act of your will. I'm just going to stop doing that. Right? I just got to change my behavior. Christianity is not a behavior modification program. Repentance is a work of the spirit that produces inside of us, number one, an awakening. And then that awakening produces a grieving. And then that grieving produces a turning. And then that turning ultimately should turn into rejoicing. And so if you're taking notes, repentance is not a work of the human will, but it is a grace, a work of the spirit that produces inside of us an awakening and a grieving, a turning and a rejoicing. An awakening, a grieving, a turning and a rejoicing. And to be honest, I don't even know if I'm going to get to the end this morning. And so here we go. Repentance is first an awakening. What is an awakening? Well, when you're asleep, you have your eyes closed, and you wake up when your alarm goes off, right? Like, in order for an awakening to take place, something needs to strike your ears, right? Like, we need an alarm. We need something to wake. We need a shake. We need an alarm. Some of y'all sleep past that, right? But that's what an awakening is, is something suddenly... Something suddenly rattles and shakes and cuts. And the eyes that were closed and drowsy all of a sudden open up. You see, when Jesus commissioned Paul in verse 18, he told him, I'm sending you to the Gentiles so that their eyes would be what? Opened. You guys remember this when we talked about grace a couple of weeks ago. Before God's grace, we were dead in trespasses, weren't we? We were asleep. We were in denial. Some of us still are. We were distracted, dismissive, defensive, unaware of sin. 2 Corinthians 4.4 takes it further. 2 Corinthians 4.4 takes it further, y'all, telling us. Look at what it says. The God of this world has what? Blinded the minds of unbelievers. You see that? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So Paul revealed that in this world, are you ready? There is kind of a demonic fog in partnership with human pride. 
that keeps humanity from seeing and admitting our desperate need for a savior. I'm going to say that again. Paul reveals that along with your human pride, there is a demonic fog. I know we don't like talking about that, right? Like we just want to talk about things that we can measure and see and now you're going crazy and weird. Paul in the word says, there is a thing that you can sense and see. It's your pride. But there is also something that is invisible. There's a demonic fog. And together, your pride and demonic fog combine to blind you. That's what Paul is saying. Now, let me give you three ways that demonic fog and human pride can work together to keep you asleep. To keep your eyes closed. Stu Batstone, such a fascinating last name. He kind of talks about the 3D vision the 3D vision, and I know I'm talking about your eyes closed, but these are the kind of the 3Ds that keep our eyes closed. This is, if you think about your human pride and a demonic fog partnering together, there are 3Ds that I want you to remember. Number one, here's one way, human pride and demonic fog keep our eyes closed. Number one, our irreligious culture denies the existence of sin. Yeah? Yeah. Making sure I'm not talking to myself. How do I know that our culture denies the existence of sin? Well, because if you believe in any kind of moral, objective moral standard, our culture will call you unloving, intolerant. Oh, it's quiet. You must be Bay Area folk. (laughs) Close-minded, judgmental, old-fashioned. Got a little fog in here. Right? That is the prevailing fog of the culture. And you, you go to church once, maybe go to a small group, depending on what day it is. But the rest of the time, you're in the fog. You're in the fog. At work, you're in the fog. At school, you're in the fog. And and you have your pride. And you're worried and you're afraid and you're concerned and maybe God is unloving and maybe he is, right? All of this stuff is taking place. But here's the thing. Our culture is a little hypocritical. Because although they deny the existence of sin, they have no problem calling Christians out for their quote-unquote sin. Right? So they deny the wrongness of sin. And they, so in, I want you to know, Christians, I, I want to say be ready, but we're already here. In our current culture, Christians are the demonic, the devil of our culture. And our standard and moral reasoning is the sin. They're just as religious as we are, even though they call themselves irreligious. So what you'll do is if you dig deeper, you'll discover that it's not that they don't believe sin exists. Are you with me? It's that they don't believe that their sin exists. It's not that they don't believe that sin exists. It's not that they don't like being judgmental because they themselves judge, right? What does it mean to judge? It means to call somebody out for being wrong. And so by calling us intolerant or loving, whatever it is, you're being called out. You're being judged, And it's not that they don't believe in this concept of sin. They just don't believe in the concept of sin in the word. 
And guess what? So until their eyes are what? <laughs> Opened. <laughs> they will refuse to repent and believe. Are you with me? The prophet Isaiah warned. In Isaiah 5, 20 through 21, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Listen, they say that our minds are closed, but according to scripture, it's their minds that are blinded and their eyes that are closed. Y'all doing okay? Demonic fog, human pride working together to keep us from repenting and believing the gospel, to keep us from seeing the beauty of Christ. If you don't believe sin exists, then you don't need a savior. You with me? And so therefore the beauty of the gospel, is not, it's not good news. Secular psychology teaches us to defend sin, right? So not only is the demonic Fog and human pride denying sin, but it also teaches us to defend sin. In an effort to not upset, right, or, or offend a fragile mind, our society has given permission for many to justify and excuse their sin. Yeah. Now, you know why I had the seatbelts on? Right, have you heard? Look at where I was born. Look at how I grew up. Look what I've been through. Look at how I was mistreated. I want to be real careful here, okay? Because as Christians, we are called to be compassionate. I think one of the biggest problems to the witness of Christianity is that Christians or so-called Christians lack compassion. We lack it. And so we must be compassionate and we must be empathetic and we must recognize that the hardships of life have harmed people, have hurt people deeply. But we cannot allow circumstances to excuse sin. Are you with me? So as followers of Jesus, we are not held accountable for what has done, been done to us but we are held accountable for what we do in response. There's a tension to live in. There's a tough tension, especially when you're, when you're either it's you or somebody else you're with, you're getting, we're as Christians, we're called to come alongside, right? You ever feel like, man, I just feel so bad. I feel so compassionate, but that compassion can't produce a fear of man and that backs you away from truth. And so Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. We have too many truth people that'll hammer people in the head with facts and truth and there's no compassion. And then we have a lot of grace people that it's all permissive, all okay, but there's no truth. That's a tension. You feel that? Demonic fog, human pride. Number three, I have a question for you. Did you know (laughs) that the church is not immune to demonic fog and human pride. Did you know that? 
It's in these spaces where religiosity and legalism creep in to teach many Christians how to dismiss sin. Right, so we, we talk about human pride and demonic fog working to deny sin, defend sin, and dismiss sin. Y'all doing okay? Yeah. What, what do I mean by that? If I were to ask you to tell me what is sin, right? If I were to ask you that, or if I were to say just, you know, give me a definition of sin or give me an example. How about this? If I were to tell you, give me an example of sin. I think that many of us would immediately start to think of external behaviors, right? Many of us would start to think about all these things that we did wrong. Lying, cheating, stealing, cheat, oh, cheating twice. I must have cheated. Lying, stealing, cheating, right? All of these external things. I shouldn't have did this. I shouldn't have did that, right? We define sin in terms of our attitudes, our actions, and behaviors. But can I tell you why that's dangerous? I think we do this to convince ourselves that our sin is manageable. We, we define sin in externals, external expressions, so that, so that we can pretend, so that we can perform. Come on, church folks. So we can hide, right? Because if sin is all about external expressions, then I can just do all the right things. And it's easier for me to pretend. We define sin externally. Are you ready? So we can avoid God wanting to deal with our motives, our idols, and the selfish influences of our hearts. Y'all doing okay? Yeah. <laughs> It's demonic fog and human pride that will allow us to repent of the external expressions while avoiding what God really wants to do in the heart. And Stu Batterstone, he uh, gives us an illustration that the elders and a few of us have went through and you know, it's just to this day we'll, we'll always remember. But it's like a shark and a fin. Legalism, religiosity, Christianity, when we don't understand sin as our nature in our heart, we tend to define sin as, as the fin, right? It, we, and so we repent of the fin and we fail to repent of the powerful creature underneath it all that is determining the direction of the fin. And so when you dismiss, minimize, limit sin to external expressions, you find a way to repent of the fin while allowing the shark to continue to grow. So we don't just repent of sins, we repent of sin. We are sinful people. We don't just repent of what we do, we repent of literally where our hearts are. When a Christian understands that, they begin to understand that they are just as corrupt as the drug dealer. They're just as corrupt as the prostitute. They're just as corrupt as the liar and the cheater. Are you with me? And so it spoils your ability to be arrogant and prideful about salvation, thinking that because you look good on the outside, that you're not corrupt on the inside. 
You hear me? Are you hearing me? Seatbelts, right? <laughs> so the question becomes, man, how, how, how does one open their eyes? Well, let's let scripture speak for itself. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, it won't be on the screen, but I'm just going to machine gun them to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 says this, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Romans 10, 14 through 15 and 17 says this, but how can they call upon him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And verse 17 so, says this, so faith comes by hearing. That is the good news about Christ. Isaiah 55, 11 says, it is the same with my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to accomplish. It will prosper everywhere that I send it. Listen, more than just self-awareness, we need a supernatural awakening. And it's the Holy Spirit in partnership with the proclamation of the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit in partnership with the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit in partnership with the word of God, are you with me, that becomes the alarm, that pierces the hearts, that awakens the mind, that breaks through the demonic fog. It's not your words. It's not my eloquent speaking. It's the word of God. Whenever the word is preached, whenever the word is proclaimed, whenever the gospel of truth is told, the spirit of God partners with the word of God and pierces through the heart of man. Listen, I know this is not going to be very popular, but repentance begins when we start to see that we've been loving what God hates and hating what God loves. <sighs> this, is, this is a hard message. Somebody like, man, I came today. <laughs> Can I say that again, though? <sighs> We don't like this. We don't like this. We, we want to dis excuse and dismiss and deny, right? We don't want to wear it. We don't want to own it. Repentance begins when we realize that we have been loving what God hates. And we have been hating what God loves. Oof. And how do we know when the awakening has truly began. How do we know it's real? Because a lot of us can be moved right now. But we can leave and forget. So how do we know when the awakening is truly happening? You ready? The answer is this. When we start to grieve. When we begin to grieve. And this is a rhetorical question. So you don't have to answer this. But are you grieving yet? Are you grieving yet? I'm, I'm talking to you, Christian, that comes at you. This is very routine. Sunday morning, this is a very routine name. Praise God, we believe in what? Rhythms of life. Coming to church is a rhythm of life. But one of the things about coming to church so regularly is it becomes so routine, right, that it doesn't hit anymore. Let me ask you a question. Are you grieved? Yeah. 
Repentance is an awakening that produces a grieving. Look at what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Looking at my time over here. Listen to what he said. He says this, I rejoice, this is Paul, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Can I just say this? Paul's writing letters to the Corinthians and he wrote them a nasty letter. He wrote them a real like, hey, y'all are messed up. I feel like me and Paul, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> y'all ever had that kind of conversation with me? <laughs> okay. Somebody like, stop excusing your behavior. You know, I know I need to be compassionate as well. But you know what I mean? He wrote him a hard letter. And Paul says, look, I felt bad <laughs> sending you this letter. He goes, but he says this. Listen, he says this. He says, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because, look, you were grieved into what? Repenting. For you felt a godly grief. Verse 10, this is huge. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to what? Salvation without regret. Whereas what? Worldly grief produces death. Interesting, right? So when your eyes are open, when the alarm cuts through the, the slumber and you're hit with the word of God that is piercing your soul, you know that this is more than just a moment when that piercing begins to cause a grieving. Y'all okay? Now here's where we have to be careful because even though repentance produces grieving, Paul warns us <laughs> to be careful to examine the authenticity of our grief. It's funny, right? The human heart is messed up. We can pretend everything. Oh, pastor, that was such a good message. I'm so, <laughs> you ever seen crocodiles? You know, oh, right? And so, and so I love the word of God because the gospel is not just about externals. It's about the heart. And so Paul says, even your grief, if you're not careful, your heart will try and produce something counterfeit. So let me, let me try to give you quickly, let me try to give you quickly the difference between worldly grief and godly grief. Amen? Okay, thanks, Mama. You see, worldly grief is self-centered, whereas godly grief is God-centered. Simple enough. Worldly grief is self-centered. It looks good, but its motives are corrupt. You see, there's sorrow, but the sorrow is not about the sin. It's about the consequences of sin. Let me see if I can go a little deeper. I'm not sorry about what I did. I'm sorry that I got caught. Somebody said caught in the back. So I was like, yeah, I'm going through that right now. <laughs> just kidding. Whoever said that, I didn't mean to put you down. But I just, someone said caught. L listen, this is not genuine repentance. This is, this is a sorrow because you got caught. But, but this is not a sorrow because you sinned. Right? It's more of a shallow apology in an effort to ease the pain and get past the discomfort as quickly as possible with as much pride intact as possible. Right? Have you ever gotten into an argument or ever just, you know, have you ever hurt someone? Or how about this? Has someone ever hurt you and they gave you an apology, but you just felt like they missed the mark? Yeah? And maybe you've been in that position, and because we're all sinners, we've also done it the same way, right? We've apologized to people, not because we hurt, but because we want, it, we want them, we want to restore the relationship hecka fast. It's discomfort. Come on, husband and wives, you already, I know I do it. 
right? Like, you know, there's been moments in times where I've hurt my wife deeply and, 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 and my heart is disheveled, not because I hurt her, not because of the shark, but because the behavior created a household that was unsettled for me. And so my repentance was a selfish repentance because I just wanted to get things right again. Sorry, I had to put myself out there. Listen, the goal is to move on quickly, not to repent honestly. Y'all doing okay? The goal is for my situation to change, not my heart to change. I want fast relief. I I don't want to die to myself. But, But there is a godly grief that is God-centered and not self-centered, right? This is not an emotion that comes as a result of getting caught, but it is an emotion produced as a repentance that is rooted in relationship with God and motivated by love. Let me explain it really quickly. It's a remorse that comes from hurting someone you love. It's a sadness that comes from mistreating someone you love. It's a regret that comes from dishonoring and grieving someone you love. It's not a call to hate yourself. It's a call to hate your sin with the goal of removing every barrier that gets in the way of loving fellowship with Jesus. Again, Stu Batterstone suggests that instead of this 3D vision that keeps us blinded, denying, defending, dismissing, We should strive to have a 3C vision that encourages us to repent. And so let me just kind of quickly explain what it would look like for godly grief to really point us to the shark and not the fin. Number one, when we are caught in sin, when when our eyes are open and we begin to see, number one, we should ask the Lord for more clarity. What do I mean by that? In fact, we talk about rhythms of life here, right? There, there are rhythms of confession and repentance as Christians that we should be uh, adding as a regular part of our life, right? If you want to be a follower of Jesus that doesn't just follow him here, but follows him out there, add to your weekly schedule rhythms of repentance. Some of us say, well, Philip, I don't know what to pray. I spend five minutes of prayer and I pray through everything. Well, add to your prayer time rhythms of confession and repentance, And let me give you a guide. Number one, ask the Lord for clarity every day, every night. That's too much. Start once a week. (laughs) Our prayer should be this. Lord, show me. Expose me. Reveal to me where I'm falling short. Amen? Show me. Speak to me. Even as I'm saying this right now, all y'all are getting a bunch of stuff, right? That's the easy part. We'll start getting all this stuff, right? So number one, ask the Lord for more clarity. Number two, confess to the Lord more honestly. Now watch this, own it. But own it without justification. (laughs) This is good for your marriage, (laughs) right? Admit it without over-explaining, right? Because a lot of us, like, we'll we'll repent, like, I'm sorry I did this. But, you know, I was late. You know, it's like, I'm sorry I had a bad attitude today, whatever. But I was caught up in traffic and my leg was, right? And so all of a sudden, this repentance about your behavior is hidden and minimized under all of these reasons why 
right? So repent, but don't repent with over-explaining. So we talk about ask the Lord for more clarity. Confess the Lord. Confess the Lord more honestly. And finally, number three, probe deeper with more curiosity. We want to ask God why. Why am I like this? Why do I do this? What is underneath it? What is behind it? What is the motivation of my heart? What's the shark? Because a lot of times in asking the Lord for more clarity, we'll get a lot of fins, which is fine. But the fins will always kind of give it, it's the visible indicator for you not to repent of the fin, but to sit there and ask why so that you can get to what's driving the fin. Because when you start to repent of that, is when you really begin to see the true transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Y'all with me? Um, I brought a journal of mine. I'm gonna put myself on the spot for a minute. Um, It's a prayer journal, and it hasn't been written in a long time, so know that I'm struggling. Um... I just want to kind of give you an illustration really quickly of a time I was like, oh, man, I feel like I did that. And I guess I'm going to be the hero of my story right now, so forgive me. But um, I will say this. Um, it says, today I caught myself slightly lowering someone else so that I could slightly elevate myself. You see the word slightly? So I just like, I was like, ooh, I was trying to repent and I already like just a little bit. Um. And for those of you in here, like, who's he talking about me? No. Um, I was putting down another pastor's sermon. Um, and, and so I was, I was getting, I had clarity. I felt that. And I had to write it down. Throughout the day, I was recalling my day. I was like, hey, remember that time you put so-and-so down? I was just writing. I was just, today I caught myself. I'm going to take slightly out. <laughs> um, lowering someone else so that I can be elevated. How, how do I know that? Well, like, as I was kind of confessing it, right, um, so owning it, um, I, wrote, I wrote a couple of things in here. I wrote, you know, um, it was unnecessary. I, I wanted credit and credibility. I'm insecure. That's what I put. I'm really insecure. I'm insecure. I feel very insecure about this moment. And right now I want to justify my insecurity, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, I think as I was thinking about the, the fin and the shark, I was like, I think I wanted validation. Like, I wanted to be praised. I wanted to be affirmed. Are you with me? And so we go from clarity to confess, owning it, right? To, like, curiosity. Like, what's happening in my heart? What's happening in my heart? And I just, you know, something I wrote down, it's not incredible. I'm still learning this, too. But, like, I, I have a need to be affirmed. That has caused me to sin. My heart is so desperate in that moment for validation. That I was willing to belittle someone else. So that I can feel big. And I want you to know like I have no problems critiquing sermons. And, but this just felt like I was, this was coming out of the, the motive of my heart. I was looking for applause. I was looking for validation. 
and just as I was kind of, I kind of, after, you know, I obviously was, I wrote down like, well, how would I pray? And just, I just wrote like, Lord, my heart is desperately wicked. I'm sorry for not being satisfied in you. I'm sorry for not finding my validation in you. I'm sorry for not finding my affirmation. You forgive me. Help me to see that I'm so loved and so secure in you that I don't need to justify myself, that I don't need to sin to find that love from anyone or anywhere else. Now, what, what moves this prayer from lip service? <laughs> right? I mean, it's great, eloquent prayer. Wow, that's what you do, Phil. That's so great. But what moves this from lip service? Or maybe I just want applause right now. So I want to read you my journal, and man, pastor's so, wow, isn't he so authentic, guys? Right? Like, there's all the tensions in my heart. Like, why, why am I even doing this right now? I walk out, you go, man, this, that pastor's so real, right? That's all affirmation, validation, and my heart is so wicked, who knows? Yeah. Right? But, but what will make it, what, what will turn it, not just from my eyes being opened and my heart grieving, but... But what will move it from lip service to reality? And we know this, right? How do we know that our grief has been godly when our sorrow produces turning? Repentance produces turning. We started today describing faith as a turning. A turning towards Christ. And then repentance is a turning away from sin. Are you with me? Now, I want you guys to see this. In order for me, and I said this a few weeks ago, in order for me to go to a place, I have to leave a place. Does that make sense? Right, like it's physically impossible for me to be in two places at once, right? So I can either be on stage or or I can be on the ground floor. And in order for me to go to the stage, I have to leave the ground floor behind. Are you with me? Now, some of you would argue that there's a way that I can be on both. Amen? This is kind of like some of our Christianity, right? There, there's a way in which I can be on stage and off stage. There's a way in which I can have one foot up and one foot down, wow. right? And I would say that's true. Yeah. And I would say, man, you, you have proved me wrong. I can be in two places at one time. But if I want to get all the benefits of being on stage, then I got to take my big foot. And I got to lift it off the ground. And I got to leave behind the floor in order to step fully on the stage. See, look, I can for a time live in both worlds. I can do that. I can be in one place, two places at the same time, maybe for a season. But if I want to move forward, if I want to take advantage of the benefits of being on stage, if I want to fully embrace one season over the next, and I got to move. I got to move out of one place. And I got to stand in another place. And so repentance and faith is just that. You see, faith is when I trusted God, I turned to Jesus. I turned away from sin. I turned away from the floor. I turned away from the ground. I turned away from the gutter and I turned to Jesus. And when I repented, I stepped up and I began to leave the floor behind. Now, there have been times in my life where I feel like I got one foot in and one foot out. But I am in Christ Jesus. I am unified with Christ Jesus. My repentance has brought me to my Savior. And as a result, I pick my big foot up. And I stay completely in the space 
with Christ. You see, repentance is not just a change of mind or a rethinking of sin. It's a change of course. It's a U-turn. Y'all with me? It's a deep hatred for sin and a true love for God that can't help but affect the way that I live my life. Now, will there be times where I fall? Absolutely. There'll be times I fall, but here's the difference. I'll be falling up here and not down there. So when I fall, I'm still in Christ. When I fall, I'm still in Christ. Right, right. Like my, as a believer, my fall is never to the floor. My fall is still in Christ. Because as I believe Christ, you have to remember his righteousness is my righteousness. He's given me his righteousness. And so even when I fail, I am in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, God doesn't see my sin. He sees his son. So check this. So that means that a Christian should repent. That repentance is not just for those sinners, but all sinners. But as a Christian repent, we don't repent to get out of judgment we repent to remind us that I am in Christ we repent to remove the barriers of a fellowship with Jesus we repent because we know that we've been forgiven we repent because we know that we're loved we repent because he is good we repent because of the good news of Jesus Christ without repentance we don't need Christ And so, repentance is not just an awakening. Repentance is not just a grieving. It's not just a turning, but for those in Christ, repentance is a rejoicing. It's an opportunity to open your eyes again and see that I'm safe in the hands of Christ. And so today, as we finish, I wanna speak to all of those in the room who get triggered by the word repent. Because you've been on the streets, you see the people with the signs. I want to tell you, I want to suggest a, a change in perspective. I think folks don't like repentance because it's costly. In fact, people try to be a Christian without repenting. Right? But that's impossible because it, it would totally cheapen the sacrifice of Christ. Right? And so I can see in, in repentance there's grief. There's sorrow. So I can see how, now repentance is heavy. But I, I, I want to suggest, follower of Christ, believer, that repentance is beautiful. And, and, and you're probably afraid of it. Or, or, you're, or you're probably unable to rejoice in it because you're too worried about what you're leaving behind. And you have failed to look at what you're gaining. And so how can we rejoice? Because we don't get caught up in what we're leaving behind. Because we've been awakened and we know, man, that's, that's death and destruction. But we rejoice because every time we repent, we know what we're gaining in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful savior. What a wonderful inheritance. What a glorious future. And so we rejoice. We rejoice. Because Christ has taken the punishment that we deserve upon himself. And he has given us life. How beautiful that is. There's a parable 
which a man, and I'm going to finish and team can come up. There's a parable of a man who finds a treasure in a field, right? So he buries it and covers it up. And the scripture says he goes home and he sells everything that he has because he's found a treasure. He's found something more valuable. He's found something more precious. And so he is more than willing. In fact, he is excited to part ways with everything. He sells everything he has so that he can go and buy the field that has this treasure. And this is the gospel. And this is Christ. And this is the rejoicing and joy of Christianity in that we've found something better. We've found someone better. And so we have no problem turning, repenting, and believing. Because we realize what we're leaving behind is the grave. What we're leaving behind is sin. What we're leaving behind is selfishness. What we're leaving behind is a heart that is corrupt. And what we're going towards is Jesus. How beautiful. How beautiful. And I want to say this, if you're struggling with leaving things behind, I want you to focus on how beautiful Jesus is. And I want to ask you a question, is he worthy? Is he worthy? I love, I love what Timothy Keller says, just keep dwelling on his grace until it moves you. Keep thinking about his free grace until it motivates you. And watch how the Holy Spirit transforms you. Amen. I want you to know that this message is not just for the unbeliever, it's for the believer. Repentance will be a regular rhythm of your life. Because we have flesh and we have remaining flesh and we'll never stop sinning until we're on the other side of heaven. And so as a result, we'll always keep repenting and believing. And so what I want to do is I want to pray. Maybe you're in this room and you don't know Jesus or maybe you feel far from God and maybe you're asking a question, how do I become near? And it's really simple, repent. What does that mean? That means just own it. It's time to admit that you're a sinner and it's time to admit that your way always leads to dead ends. Now, if you're anything like me, I got no problems with that. Like I've seen how I lived my life without Christ and I have come to understand that I mess it up. I mean, are there moments of fun and joy? Sure, but overall, it always comes crashing down. And so someone may ask us, how do, I, how do I get close to God? Well, repent. All it simply is own your sin and believe that Christ was perfect and that you were not. And so when Christ died, he took your punishment that you deserve and he gave to you his righteousness. You don't have to do anything. I got to jump. I got I to gotta start trying harder and doing better. No, no, no. You just got to keep believing the truth. And what is the truth? That you are loved. You're sinful. You're more sinful than you could ever have thought. But you're more loved than you could ever imagine. And you see that in Christ. You see that in Christ. And if you make him the center of your affection and the center of your attention, the Holy Spirit will begin to do a work. And so what does it take to receive this free grace? Repent and believe, and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray all over this room. I pray everyone in this room would, we are all unbelievers. 
we all fall in and out of love. We all fall in and out of sin. And so I just pray this entire room that we would be repenters and believers. That's what we would be. This would be a church of repenters and believers. A church that would return to Christ. A church that would be reminded that they are in Christ. That we would be gospel-centered. Everywhere we go, we would declare the beauty of Christ, the ugliness of sin, and the joy that we have with him. And so I pray today as we leave this place, Lord, let us not leave your presence. I pray that you have, you have died to bring us close. And so every sin that distances us, every sin that alienates us in Christ, Lord God, we have been brought near. And so, Lord, we're careful to give you all honor and all glory and all praise because, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Inspire church. God bless you. And would you leave this place just ready to attend groups this week? I mean, what an incredible discussion that we will have this week. We love you guys. See you soon. God bless. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspirechurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year. 